Hi, this is Darren Korb, and you're listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Hughes, and as you just heard, I'm joined by Supergiant Games Audio Director, Darren Korb. Thanks for joining me today. Darren, how are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I have to admit, I have played a ton of Hades lately, so I am very excited to discuss this game with you. However, before we dive into that, I would love to ask you about your journey into game audio and how you got here. Yeah, it's... uh... I sometimes feel a little bad describing how I got into game audio because (laughs) I really just lucked into it. Uh, Honestly, I was living in New York. I'd finished college. I went to NYU. I was trying to be a songwriter, producer, performer of music. Uh, I was working, you know, kind of interning in a recording studio and just trying to take any, any sort of music gig I could. I, I managed to, write a song that got into like an independent movie which was cool and then i i did like a couple little tv spots like for infomercials nice <laughs> and my buddy who i grew up with amir rao was co-founding Supergiant games uh at that time he, had, he was working at ea la and he just sort of thought that i could do it i had the ability <laughs> to do the audio and he's just like hey you want to do all the audio for this game we're working on and uh and yeah he had no no real reason to assume that I could other than, you know, he'd heard me make music before. Basically we'd work together creatively on stuff. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, he just asked me to do it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I'll totally do that. <laughs> it must be strange to look back now, especially starting out on Bastion and then coming to this point and then going, wow, we've come a long way. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's certainly my, I, my life is divided into, you know, pre Supergiant and then since Supergiant, yes, uh, for sure. Like it's it's a very big uh, marked a very big change in in the direction of my life in a, in an awesome way. Yeah, and you've been there what like eleven years now? Yeah, two thousand. Well, a little more. We started in two thousand nine. Wow. What would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned over that course of time in terms of audio? I've learned a lot of lessons, <laughs> <laughs> or working um, in audio at least. You know, even planning yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think. One thing, so I've learned. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll list a few things I've learned. <laughs> Go for it's it. hard to distill it into a single a single learning. Um, you know, I one of the things that I've discovered is that I really like working on multiple aspects of audio. Uh, so I do sound design and implementation. I do voiceover direction and and some voiceover performance. I do all of the audio, pretty much. Yeah, I do music. You know all the music writing and production for the most part, or the performance of the music as well. So, so I do, I do a lot of different things, and I really enjoy the variety of work because if ever I feel stuck or uninspired in a particular area, I have plenty of other things I can work on. Yeah, that are just totally different. So, uh, it's really fun because because what happens, what usually ends up happening is, you know, I'll I'll be working on music. I'll finish a piece. I'll feel pretty good about it, but I'm maybe not ready to move on to something else right away. Yeah, I'll go make some sound effects. I'll do a bunch of voiceover recording. By the time I come back to the music, I'm like chomping at the bit to get back to the music. You know, I'm ready to go back to it and excited. So, I think working that way has been really, uh, really good for me and very helpful. I tend to 
be a dabbler, I would say. Yeah. Um, I like to, I like to, you know, I, I like to do a lot of different things and, and I feel like um, it, it suits my inclinations to work that way. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I think I'm very similar because I think sometimes that change is as good as a rest. Yeah. So you kind of fixate on one thing and you're like, no, I'm just going to do something else for a bit now. And then, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to yeah. come back. Yeah, it's like a rest for that particular part of your brain. Exactly, The one yeah. that you use for that thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> how do you decide how to delegate your time? How do you like, okay, look, I want to do this more, but I really have to stop and actually do some more of that? I try to give myself fairly firm deadlines for, for a lot of the stuff. I mean, some of it is a little arbitrary, but but some of it is based on experience of how long a type of thing tends to take me in a realistic way. Yeah. You know, what is a, what is a reasonable amount of time to give myself to make a music piece of this length and complexity and how, you know, what's a reasonable amount of time for that. And now I've sort of settled on, on something that, that works for me. And, and, you know, for Hades, when I was making the sort of longer biome pieces, the pieces that are sort of, you know, eight, 10 minutes long or whatever that play as you're traversing the underworld. Yeah. I discovered through throughout the process that if I gave myself about two weeks for one of those start to finish, that was about right. You know, I would have I would like kind of break it down the first couple of days or concepting and working out the structure. Then I started recording the acoustic instruments or whatever it is, and then I kind of do the you know the the hard rock arrangement, sort of the the last stuff I record. I spend about a day on drums, performing and editing the drums, and then you know, about a day mixing or half a day mixing or something. And then, and then that's, that's sort of where, where I end up um, at the end of two weeks is, is with one of those kind of implemented pieces. So, but I only discovered that after many years of doing this generally and a couple of years of working on Haiti specifically. You know? yeah, so, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting, you know, to, to, to find something like that because it, one, another thing I've learned is that you know that for me this process used to be really like like a little bit more mystical or nebulous, and I would just sort of I'd have to kind of wait for inspiration to yeah. strike a little bit more. And as I did more stuff and just worked more, I found that you know inspirations can strike more frequently if you're just doing it, if you're just working. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you got to make the stuff. And, and I, I would, I would hear professionals say stuff like, you know, you, you just, you have to just make more stuff because the more stuff you make, the better you're, you'll get at making stuff, the less precious your ideas will become to you. So you'll be more free with your ideas. Yeah. And I heard that over and over again from all these people I respected and I, and it took me a really long time to internalize it, but I feel like that's one of the most important lessons I've learned honestly is, is just, just go, just you can't evaluate the creative idea before you've expressed it somehow. So you just express it, you make the thing, you do what you're thinking, and then you see if you like it or not. You don't, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's not something you can determine beforehand. To be fair, you know, I've, I've had a lot more experience now, so I can better estimate whether or not an idea is worth pursuing before I get, get to that stage. Yeah. If that makes sense. I can like, will I like this? If it's, if it seems like I'll maybe like it, I should try it, you know? <laughs> and it must be weird getting to that stage, especially knowing what it's like in the beginning, because we've all been there where you just kind of like, Oh, I don't know. Is this all right? Uh, is it finished? Yeah. Is it finished? 
yeah, why not? And then <laughs> getting to that stage where you're like, do you know what? That's done and we're moving yeah. on. <laughs> it must be tricky. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it, it takes a while of just learning to when to put a piece to bed, <laughs> you know, and, and what, what's the process of finishing a piece like and how does that look and, and, you know, figuring out what finished is means to you. And for me, it's, I, I work on a piece until I can't really think of any ways to make it better. I'll check it on a few different sets of speakers and headphones and stuff like that, just to make sure that the mixes, it holds up across, you know, different listening situations. Yeah. yeah. And then, then I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm done because <laughs> I can't think of any ways to make it better. So I must be done. Nice. So I'm now excited to finally talk about Hades. I've been holding it back. So how long ago did you first start working on Hades? We started working on Hades. Oh gosh. It was like September-ish of 2017, I want to say. Okay. So about three, was that three? Three years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, nice. Almost so, on the dot, yeah. What was the first thing you heard about Hades? What was were you involved in the original concept right from the beginning? So yeah, the the first the pitch for Hades was a little different than it actually turned out. It was originally gonna be focused on, you know, like a labyrinth and a Theseus sent it was gonna be like a, the protagonist and it was gonna be at the Minotaur, you know, it was gonna be a different thing. But it was the same format you know it was going to be a we wanted to make a sort of run-based roguelite roguelike game that was had procedural elements and was highly replayable and and that was what we set out to make at some point we had a creative like redirect i think it was probably january or something when we when we decided this is cool but we're not feeling the fiction yet yeah and and I, i think we went away for for winter break and Greg came back and uh, was like, okay, how about this? How about it's, <laughs> how about it's Zagreus <laughs> and you're trying to fight your way out of hell. You're the son of the son of Hades. And everyone was instantly like, oh yeah, that's much cooler. Let's do that. Instead. I mean, it's a super cool premise. As soon as someone brings <laughs> yeah. that up, you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm in. Like- <laughs> so it's, wait a minute. So it's reverse Diablo. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I accept I have to admit, I love the setting. I'm, I'm kind of personally really like mythology in general, and Greek is one of my favorites. Yeah. So I was like sucked yeah. in instantly. It's like, oh, I'm Zagreus, son of Hades. Yeah, yeah I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Trying yeah. to escape it's, hell. This is excellent. It's so interesting because it's proved to be such a ripe thing for Greg to write, you know, an area for Greg to write in. I mean, yeah. it, there's so much that's already established and so many holes in what is established and so yeah. much contradiction and stuff. So there's just tons of room. He's got, got tons of room. He can do, he can do all sorts of stuff and go totally nuts. So it's been fun. It was really fun to see what he came up with, with all these characters and how well he was able to define them. And, and for me, the, one of the most impressive things about Greg's characterizations of everybody is just, they all make you go like, yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense for this guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's not. But none of them are characterizations I've seen before of these particular characters. You know, they're all they all feel fairly unique to me. So I feel that it's really I, I'm really excited by the fact that Greg, in the writing, was able to kind of thread that needle of, of course, and no one I haven't seen that before. You know. Yeah, it's crazy how you managed to combine like familiarity, but with completely new takes. Yeah. So you still have that vibe of like, yeah, oh yeah, that's Zeus or that's, you know, Dionysus. And then you're like, yeah. oh, but this is quite a cool, yeah, I like this. This is pretty, pretty interesting, you know. 
And I have to say, speaking of all the characters, one of the most obvious things to bring up about this game is the incredible amount of dialogue, but also the incredible amount of dialogue combinations. Yes. <laughs> or dialogue yeah. to match combinations, shall we say. Yeah. So how do you even begin to tackle that from the beginning as an audio director? At the beginning, we didn't set out to have, you know, 22,000 voice lines. You know, it's a kind of thing where you... you cover everything that you can think of for the content that you have and then you make a bunch more content and you think oh well now we need a bunch more lines for that yeah you you introduce a bunch more characters and like oh well now we need all these characters and they all need to talk about all of the stuff that we have all the other characters talk you know and it just grows and grows and grows and it's one of those things where you know we worked on the project over a period of time it was in early access for a long time we were adding quite a bit of content the entirety of the, the almost two years it was in early access yeah and you know, we just kept adding and adding and adding and, and it, it's like, you know, how do you eat a whale? Right. One bite at a time. <laughs> That's how you eat a whale. <laughs> same, same way you eat anything else. And was there that many combinations of the God's boons, for example, right at the beginning, or did that just kind of increment over time? Yeah, it increases. Um, it increased, of course, uh, you know, even, even like the, the dual boons and stuff weren't, were added kind of midway through early access. They weren't even right, yeah. in the initial early access launch, I don't believe. So, it, yeah, definitely like the combination. I mean, all all of the content grew over time, uh, and 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 the 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 VO was sort of similar in, in how it grew. And tech wise, then, did you have any bespoke software or middleware that was handling a lot of this tracking, as well as like playback? of the right lines or yeah our audio middleware is fmod studio but other than that it's just we have a big big giant spreadsheet with our script you know each character has a tab for their you know for all their lines some characters with a lot of lines have two tabs like for different contexts yeah but really it's like i we render the line with a particular numbering you know the character name underscore the number and that's how it gets called. You know, we, we that's how it gets called in the script. It's like the character name underscore the number of the line. Yep. That corresponds to a particular set of words. I mean, it's very like there's nothing too fancy about it. The the F mod, you know, in F mod we have it set up so there's like a a programmer sound in F mod yeah. that it's a single cue that represents a particular character actor. And all of the audio files will be played by this one queue, if that makes sense. Yeah, so we have the FMOD use the parameters and settings for that particular character to play all of that character's lines. How much is there in total? Because I've played it a lot and I've noticed zero repetition so far. <laughs> so I guess every yeah. time I have the same combination and, or I have the same boons and I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. going to come across the line again soon. And it's just constantly developing and constantly catching me out because i'm like i haven't yeah. heard any line twice like yeah that's insane it's it's pretty nuts and, and there's i think about twenty two thousand lines of voiceover and i think specifically with the conversations i know there's there's um in script word sort of tracking or on your save file i don't know where but yeah. it's tracking all the conversations you have heard and will not play them again and just plays other stuff so and some of them are prerequisites for other conversations, and that's how a lot of that stuff is tracked. It's like a, it's just a web of, did you play those already? Then it can play one of these options if it already right. played these ones. If it didn't play these ones, it can play some of these options. You know, so it's just a, it's just a, 
an elaborate web of that kind of thing, as far as I understand. <laughs> yes, and it strikes me as one of those things where like it works great, but it, there's a lot of potential there that if one thing went wrong, it could just cause a, cause a cascade of errors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it could. I mean, we we ran into our share of weird narrative bugs and stuff, but I mean, I'm honestly surprised that it mostly worked like we didn't encounter anything too terrible there were a couple of weird ones i found when we were testing before launch uh 1.0 where they were really hard to reproduce bugs where it's the kind of thing where like if you exhaust the sisyphus storyline there's a type of there's an interaction you can have in his chamber i don't want to spoil it no oh, yeah of where course. um i was getting repeated lines when doing this interaction. Yeah. And I know for a fact, hey, we recorded 25 lines for this one particular context. I'm positive we did. But I was hearing the first one over and over again. But the only way to know that is to play consecutive runs, get the Sisyphus room in each consecutive run, and oh, wow. then do this interaction. <laughs> and I happened to be playing for 10 hours a day at that time, you know, just testing the game over, just like a normal, playing as normally as I could, you know? Yeah. And it it's just like a, a bug that no one no one can detect unless they've recorded twenty five lines. You know, <laughs> yeah. like hey, I remember twenty four more lines for this context. Where are they? <laughs> so so yeah, just some weird stuff like that 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 was hard to discover just just because of the sheer size of the game and the randomness of how some of that stuff is deployed. And yeah. So yeah, there's there's some some weird ones, but nothing. You know, thankfully, not too many horrible ones made it made it out the door. <laughs> and was it just you on the audio side on this one, or did you have some assistance? Did you have a team with you? So, making the audio stuff is just me. Greg Kasavin, our writer and creative director, did all the voiceover implementation. Right. Okay. And uh, and all the like crazy web of all the <laughs> yeah. insanity. That's all Greg. And he often would when there was a new weapon or something, he'd like stub in existing sound effects and then I'd go and replace them. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he definitely helped, um, helped streamline the process a bunch. And, and of course the music is, is sort of a joint effort between Greg and myself kind of figuring out how to do it. And then, uh, our engineers helping us to make, make the dream a reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of all this like plethora of dialogue, okay. Uh, so much i still can't get my head around about how many combos there are but you actually performed a lot of it as well because you are the voice actor for the main character zagreus yep. as well as skelly right so how yep. how did that come into fruition sort of by accident i mean i recorded we a bunch of us recorded scratch vo for several different characters at the beginning of the project yeah and just to put stuff in to see how it felt with you know having characters talk to each other in the world and having a dialogue panel come just kind of figuring out how that was going to feel. And the scratch VO that I did for Zag and Skelly, uh, you know, we got some auditions for those characters and the the team ended up preferring my performance to, to what we got. So it was just like, I guess I'm doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> Does that feel weird as the audio director that everyone's like, no, no, you do it. And you're like, but you know, it's the main character, right? Like, <laughs> is this okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Part of us, part of us saw an advantage to having the main character be on team because you know we yeah. work very close with Logan Cunningham throughout all of our games, and that's he's he's a team member uh, in terms of you know our access to him and and how how much we're able to record and how frequently we can just do a quick little session for a few lines and it's no big deal and it's not just we have a casual uh, 
relationship. Yeah. And so that that part that kind of advantage was clear to us with with somebody on team playing the main character just because you know Greg could write some lines, I could go record them and they could be in the game in like 45 minutes, you know, from when we they're like they're in. I mean, that's it. You have the whole loop all all closed loop there. So while it was strange for sure, it was definitely something where we saw the advantage to it. Yeah, I can imagine. And it, having control over all aspects of the audio, well, it must have been just a very satisfying experience knowing you could just get a handle on everything. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that, that is at least subconsciously happening probably on some level is is maybe there's an opportunity to unify the audio as much as possible if it's just me kind of doing it to try to make it feel as cohesive and try to tie everything together uh, aesthetically as much as I can, you know, and then I have theoretically the ability, the, I'm theoretically in the position to do that. It doesn't mean it'll happen. And speaking of the sound design of the project, um, you mentioned earlier about how you did different sounds for the weapons, obviously, but did you take into account the kind of mythology behind each thing when you were designing the sound design? Did you, did you kind of think of the higher concept for all the boons? Like, did you want them to sound specific to each god and the weapons, like their history, that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, more some weapons more than others you know the we certainly had for the base weapons like for stygius the sword that one is meant to just sort of sound swordy and not yeah you know, it sounds like a, pow- a powerful sword like there's some some like some components underneath the basic like swings and, and hits and stuff that are meant to feel like a slightly unholy power component and i had like a little bit of that sonic component on a lot of the weapons Exegriff in particular, the the rail, the gun, there was some fiction backstory about it where it has some some sort of bird, phoenix, eagle, some sort of, I forget what it was, some sort of bird component. I have like bird-themed components to the sounds. Like a, when, when you're reloading and your weapon's ready to fire again, there's a little flash and there's like a little subtle like eagle car or whatever. Nice. <laughs> you know? So I've... I tried to I tried to theme it as much as I could, and and definitely for the boons, I I the way we did all those sound effects, they play on top of the base weapon sounds usually, yeah, and they're attached to the modified visual effects that play whenever you, you whenever you equip one of those boons. There's like you equip a Poseidon boon, and then there's blue splashy visual effects right for the water, yeah, and so I'd attach water themed sounds to all those visual effects. And so that's that's sort of how we were able to to tie those into to each boon and, and have them stack kind of on top of the weapon sounds. Yeah. And from a sound design perspective, what would you say was the biggest challenge? I think it was trying to it's a hectic game. Yes. And trying to have stuff, have it read for clarity when there's a bunch of craziness going on, trying trying to have it not just sound like an insane cacophony of stuff. Yeah was was challenging and and figuring out priorities and instance limits and stuff like that and when it is crazy i mean part of the thing that ended up helping with that is when it is crazy you actually have it just not play some things and it helps you know yeah, <laughs> things yeah. that you you aren't meant to really think about or, or perceive as much those sounds can just go away when when there is a ton of stuff happening so that was helpful and i think yeah probably the biggest challenge was just just figuring out how to allow the player to get all the information they need yeah 
sonically speaking, when it is hectic and crazy. You know, you want the the enemy is about to attack you sounds to be very prominent so you can get the heck out of the way yeah. even if you don't see them there, you know? I have to admit, you must be psychic because that was literally my next question because my first impression when playing it was like, oh man, the mix must have been a nightmare because <laughs> there's so much going on like constantly. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I mean, the, the, I didn't have to do too much on the mixing side because I, I did a lot of that sort of more or less automated. I have I had like... Um, automatic ducking that would happen with different buses yeah so i mean i'd certainly tweaked and tuned all that stuff forever I yeah mean, until the end of the project until we ship but but um you know just like the little fall off radius on each sound and making sure that was tuned properly and like you know stuff that's less important should have a smaller fall off and so that when you're across the screen from it you're you don't really hear it you know what yeah things like that but then an enemy targeting you with a reticle on you should be super loud no matter where they are you know that kind of stuff like yeah i can imagine it was quite tricky picking what was the priorities over everything else like you were saying so did you have like a bus for enemy sounds or like a different bus for when they were attacking as well so that took over priority of their actual sounds so in general that stuff that that level of of granularity was mostly just sound sizes yeah and then and then you can set the priorities uh on the sound so that if a lot of sounds are playing it'll choose lower priority sounds to go away yeah if that makes sense yeah so you have your voice limits there and you basically prioritize what comes first in order and then anything on the bottom pile is just like you're not important right now <laughs> you can go away exactly yeah now with regards to the music then you have been critically acclaimed for the soundtracks of the previous games and rightfully so and this one's no different now i did read though that you were heavily influenced by rock band is that true oh yeah <laughs> yeah for sure i mean i've played by orders of magnitude, more of the Rock Band franchise than any other game I've ever been, you know, in my life. And I've played games, a lot of games. I've played Fallout 2 like 20 times. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I've played a lot of Rock Band. And it really opened my eyes as a producer in a lot of ways and a bass player and a drummer. I mean, it really like improved. Not only did it improve my timing, it really, when I started playing Rock Band, when they, you know, the first rock band and they added the bass and I started playing the bass, I became a lot more aware of what specifically the bass is doing because sometimes it's pretty hard to detect the exact yeah, rhythmic it's very pattern subtle. of the bass, the exact kind of fill that's happening. Like there's, you know, oh, there's like a little bass riff, but you can't, it's just like, it just kind of feels cool, but you can't, it's hard. It's just harder to hear the articulations. And so that made me, I think, a much better producer and bass player and then of course, just playing expert rock band drums for years has made me a much better drummer because you're, you're yeah, because you're basically playing the drums. You're just doing the thing. <laughs> you're playing the real thing. It's really improved. Um, yeah, it's improved my playing a bunch, and and it's introduced me to music that I, you know, wasn't necessarily into before. You know, st- bands like Rush and and you know, stuff like that that I was that was like a little outside of my wheelhouse. I learned to appreciate because, oh, it's fun to play. And I, you know, it's like, I like the, this is a cool, vi- you know, a cool vibe. And, and I carried some of those heavier, more prog kind of influences with me into, uh, into the Hades music for sure. And that's a lot of that stuff is stuff that I, I only really came to appreciate through playing a bunch of rock band. Yeah. 
I can actually say that it makes me feel a lot better for playing a lot of rock band back in the day as well. You know, now I can point to you and oh, be yeah. like, well, see, it works. It helps. You know, it was, it was a valid <laughs> use of my time. <laughs> it absolutely, absolutely is. I don't, this is not a widely known fact, but I am a member of the 2010 National Rock Band Championship Band. Oh, wow. <laughs> so officially awesome at rock band. Yes. I participated <laughs> in the, in the, North American uh, Rock Band Championship in 2010, and they stopped having it. They only had it for two years, 2009 and 2010. So technically, I'm the reigning. Champion. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome, reigning champ. Put that on the uh, that goes at the yeah. top of the, the LinkedIn <laughs> awards or whatever. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, and you got to collaborate again with Ashley Barrett, of course, yeah. who is a beautiful singer. What was it like bringing her back on this project? How did you decide where you were going to bring her in? Yeah, yeah, I, I. I knew we wanted to have Ashley involved um, from the get-go. I mean, we, we really like working with her and people really respond well to her voice in the games and, and she's played a part in every single one and and the Orpheus Eurydice storyline seemed like a kind of a perfect place to do that. Yeah. Because um, we knew we were going to have Orpheus be a character, we were going to have him sing and then we we figured, you know, Eurydice, the Eurydice counterpart was a really a really perfect fit for Ashley. So yeah, we're really pleased with how it how it worked out. Yeah, and it varies as well in terms of the length of the tracks. Now I'm assuming the longer the track is is kind of the longer tracks are for you're kind of going through the longer parts of the the realms, shall we say, of the underworld. Yeah. So how did you decide when it was enough and that you had to bring in a new track? Oh yes. Yeah. So so that's that is procedural, essentially. Right. So we we've set it up so we have a semi randomized system for how that works. Um, each run begins with the same piece of music and it has a few different sections. The first, it has the first piece I think only has two, has two major sections that play when you're in a run. It has, has like a section before that yeah. <laughs> when you're in the house and then it transitions to the one where you're, where you start your run, the percussion kicks in and the piece begins. And then, uh, and then you move on to a couple of chambers later, it'll advance to the next section of the piece. And then at the end of that chamber, it calls the ending and it'll, you know, it'll advance to the ending sting. Yeah. And then in the next chamber, it will begin a new piece. And these are the biome pieces, right? Um, so this is like chamber four or five or something of a run. Yeah. And then it each piece is divided up into three sections. It has an introduction sort of anticipatory section with pulsing synths and some light percussion that plays for a chamber or two. It will advance then to the folk arrangement of the piece yeah, with the proper riff and everything, but it's played on a balama or whatever, and then it's got the more active percussion. And then when you get to a mini boss or a boss, it will advance to the final section of the piece, which is the hard rock part. Yeah. And then when you die, it'll stop, or <laughs> when you kill the boss or the mini boss, it will advance to the ending tag and play the tag, and then next room, new piece. And, and they're sort of in buckets, right? There's like Tartarus biome pieces that can play in a playlist and then there's a new bucket for when you get to Asheville, a new bucket for when you get to Elysium. Nice. There's one more one more component uh, of how we do that is there's semi-randomized uh, stem arrangements that can play for each piece. So there's three stems. There's a, a guitar stem, a bass stem, and a drum plus synthesizer stem. Right. And when you are out of combat, the drums turn off, generally speaking. When you enter a new chamber, drums kick in. And, and then when you defeat the last enemy, the drums turn off. And then either bass and guitar 
or just bass or none, neither of those will play. The, and those are the combination, different combinations of stems. That's awesome. So even within the tracks, there was like varied versions of the tracks that would play throughout. And that's just sort of randomly rolled at the beginning of each room. Nice. And so was there a lot in the kind of recording as well as mix process where you were thinking about this? That you Did you know it was going to be procedural? So you kind of prepped beforehand that you need to record this kind of part, that kind of part? The, the only real consideration, I think, for when you're when you have stems that can just turn off and on, you know, sometimes it's important. I mean, I, it's not critical but it's nice to have stuff playing most of the time yeah, on the course. track so that there's an impact when it comes or goes you know i didn't really adhere to that so hardcore on pyre i did on pyre i like there were like eight stems and everything had to have something playing all the time it was very hard to to write a piece that way um but on this one i just kind of for the most part stuff just plays when it when i feel like it should occasionally it'll lay out the bass will lay out for a couple of measures and it's fine and it's no big deal it the the immediacy of the change isn't as critical because you have the drums kicking on and off and that's really the thing that needs to be more immediate yeah uh and then once it advances to the rock section all the stems are on and don't have to worry about it anymore so um it wasn't super complicated i'd done for the last uh you know for for pyre and and transistor both i had done some version of you know stemmed pieces right okay so it wasn't it wasn't a big deal and it's more it's more of a thing where i just once we figured out what the stems would be i could just kind of go and and then when i was done i just separated into those stems and call it a day it wasn't it wasn't a, a strict constraint or anything on on the composition yeah nice and i have to say you do toe the line quite nicely i don't find it repetitive at all even though obviously with it being a roguelike you have to go through constantly uh, uh, repeating yourself yep. going through the chambers over and over again but how did you decide what was enough to kind of have enough variety in the music without having to have any repetition that would be too grating but also having the nice amount of repetition that you know where you are <laughs> yeah i i think that was something we experimented with a lot early on and i feel like i'd learned a lot about that on pyre yeah where we went real deep on the reactive stems and my major takeaway from that was there's a point, there's like, it's like a bell curve, right? There's diminishing returns. There's a sweet spot of how reactive you can feel it. Be. It's like the, the change has to be X amount of big in order for you to feel it. Yeah. And only so frequent, right? If it's too frequent, you're not going to notice it. But if it's, if it's too infrequent, you know, it'll be weird. So, so I, it was just finding the right frequency and, and the right delta, like what is a good change? And the drums turning on and off is a, just a old standby. We did it in Transistor. It's like straightforward, you know, enemies, drums, no enemies, no drums, done. But for for the stem arrangement of the other two things, figuring out what was appropriate and what worked was just some experimentation. And that was the idea with, with doing the sort of procedural stem arrangements was to help add to the variety and stretch these pieces out so you don't, don't get tired of them as, as quickly. Yeah. You know, with the exception of a couple pieces that are the same every time, like the, the opening piece uh, that plays, you know, um, I think it's the House of Hades is the track. And then uh, when you're when you're leaving, you know, when in your first few rooms and then, you know, Temple of Sticks, for example, always plays in Temple of Sticks because that's the theme for that area. That's fine. And then the God of the Dead plays when you fight fight you know fight the boss <laughs> very careful then <laughs> yeah i love how he's like i'm just gonna avoid spoilers while trying to explain what's yeah, happening. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah so you know it's uh 
it's one of those things where, yeah, we chose moments to have themes for particular characters and, and areas, and then for the bulk of the experience, wanted it to feel fairly fresh. I mean, we have, for Tartarus, I believe we have four pieces. For Asphodel and Elysium, we, each, we have three pieces each. Right. So it's a pretty fairly large variety because you won't ever hear all of those pieces in a single run, ever, because you'll hear a maximum of two pieces in Tartarus, two pieces in Asphodel, and two pieces in Elysium. So at the very least, you're going to hear different stuff. Yeah, so every run is different. Like, you'll never hear the same stuff two runs in a row, basically. Yeah, exactly. That's really good because then the listener can really appreciate it, so there's nothing really fatiguing you. I mean, it must be so difficult to design that around a game where you have to play it multiple times. I mean, literally, you can play it hundreds of times. Yeah, and that, that was a major consideration for why we we did it this way, honestly, is just what what is going to be the thing that allows us to prevent the player from getting fatigued yeah. uh, with, with the music and you know, and choosing our moments essentially to, to have thematic stuff. Now, one thing I want to ask about actually, which not a lot of people tend to, to look at too closely is the, the voice design. So the effects that you did for quite a few of the voiceovers, how did you decide? I mean, some of them, it kind of makes sense. So, you know, like Hades is deep and boomy, you know, that's kind of what you expect, but then other ones like the Furies and things like that. How did you decide, okay, we want them to sound like this because they're, they're like this. So, yeah, you know, I used a few main tools. Um, I use this plugin called Urcam Tracks um, for a lot of the vocal processing in combination with just like Logic's built-in, you know, pitch shifter stuff sometimes if it was more appropriate. Yeah. Um, and then I also used for all of the gods talking to you through boons, I used a reverse reverb to give it the impression that it's like some sort of ghostly. Nice and ethereal. Yeah, I I use that also for the shade characters most mostly. I use it for Achilles and for um, and I use it for the Furies as well. Just maybe I use it for Nyx too. I, any character that I wanted to have that sort of ethereal vibe, um, I would give that to. And yeah, those are the main tools in the box. I mean, Urcam Tracks is like really really versatile and, and can do a lot of crazy stuff. And so Dusa, that's that's the main thing you're hearing for Dusa is the Urkem Tracks plugin is right. really doing a lot of work there. And and uh, for Hades, yeah, it's interesting because I listened recently, I was listening back to, I was checking out the plugins, you know, and, and looking at the, the presets I had for the characters. And Hades, the pitch shift is only like one semitone or something. It's not much. Logan is really yeah, like he's got doing a deep most voice of the work anyway, there. Right? He's really doing it. Yeah. It's just a little extra yeah you know (laughs) to make it make it a little little more huge and booming nice now what would you say is your proudest moment on the project that's tough well okay recording at abbey road for the sound that is pretty awesome for two of the tracks that that was my proudest moment yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i so so i recorded that the 10-year anniversary album at abbey road with, with chamber orchestra, awesome wintry conducting. Ashley was there. We sang the vocals live. I mean, it was an unbelievable wow. experience. But in addition to that, I wrote two pieces for Hades to record there as well to kind of help justify it. Just because, you know, I, I saw an opportunity with, oh, when you get to the surface, it should have new instrumental components. And this is a, what an opportunity. And um, and so that's something I'd never done, but I'd never written for orchestra before. And to write new material and then go and record it for the first time at Abbey Road to have that be the like definitive new original version of the thing is like 
there's something particularly special about that process. Yeah, and it makes that moment even extra special. Yeah, so so it was really um, one of the highlights of my existence, recording at Abbey Road with these incredible musicians and recording original music there. I mean, it was just, yeah. Yeah, man, that's going to be difficult to top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was also one of the last things I did before all the lockdown stuff started happening in March. Oh, man. So I was there in January. I was there about a year ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I did that. I played, like, a giant concert at PAX East, and then, like, a week later, I was locked down. I mean, we were all locked down. So. Wow. The, what a contrast, though. Some people would be like, what's your you know last memory pre-lockdown? Be like, I don't yeah. know, cinema, going to the shops. And you're like, well, just casually recording some soundtrack at Abbey Road, <laughs> you know. That's my last memory, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad one. Yeah, not a bad, not a bad one to one. go. It's, it's sustained me through a lot <laughs> so far. Yeah. Just remember Abbey Road, Darren. <laughs> yeah. And on the flip side then, what about the most challenging part of the whole project, apart from the mix, which we discussed already? I think maybe it's just the sort of pace of of the early access thing was was it wasn't like a a momentary challenge. It was more like a sustained a little bit more of a marathon, you know? Yeah. It wasn't, you know, when we had big milestones or, or, or shipping big updates, sometimes it got a little crazy, but it never got too crazy. It was just lightly crazy all the time <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs> yeah you know? i get what you mean um once we launched into early access it was like oh well now we're off okay and we were just like go 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 for for two years <laughs> so that was a different a different way to go about working and, and i mean I, I think it was probably just better like i don't think we could have possibly made this game any other way i can get that yeah but it certainly was a challenge i i would say i can see it being a shift in mentality when you work towards that way of working but also it makes sense that you have the game out while you're improving it yep. and like updating it so did you get much feedback from the the players that you then responded to as well that must be really nice to be able to do yeah i mean we certainly did uh as a team i didn't get a ton of audio uh, stuff. I mean, I got like a handful of like little audio things like this sound seems kind of loud or whatever. It wasn't like yeah. nothing too crazy. I got, you know, it was really like people were had really kind things to say mostly, uh, which was very lovely about, about a lot of the audio stuff. So that was cool. But yeah, they certainly had like a bunch of, I know the design was really finely tuned based on player feedback, like very much so. And But even there were like story events that we added based on some stuff that players, you know, were talking about. We, 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 there, there's stuff that we like wanted to pay off or, or players that we saw having some questions about some things and we wanted to answer them in a certain way or Greg did, you know. So I know that informed some of those kinds of decisions as well. And, but we were, one of the coolest things is we were really able to see what players liked yeah. and gravitated towards and we could lean into it or we could subvert that expectation or we could do, you know, it, it allowed us to sort of, uh, have more information going into whatever creative decisions we made. Yeah, I can imagine it being a curse and a blessing, but mostly a blessing in that way. Yeah. Because you've done, I, I don't want to say most of the hard work, but you've got the game out there, which we all know is pretty hard to do in the first <laughs> place, right? <laughs> so, yes, yeah, um, yeah. And then you can be like, okay, they like this, they don't like that. All right, okay, yeah, we can work with this. Yeah, okay, right, here we go. Yeah, absolutely. It must be nice to have that tweaking possibility. For sure, yeah. It was, it was really... Um, great to, to to see the response and just you know again the game couldn't have existed any other way in the same format i mean it wouldn't be nearly as big we would have prioritized totally different things probably i mean once we 
we really shifted our plan for development immediately as soon as we launched Early Access because what we discovered was players were engaging with the late game like right away. Like players just plowed through all the content that we had and were still playing. So we wanted to incorporate like end game mechanics, which we didn't, it didn't launch with the heat system in early access, for example, oh, okay. the pack system. Yeah. And so we implemented that, like, I think it was our first update or something. I mean, it was, it was very soon after we launched into early access. Um, though we like reprioritized all the stuff we were the next step that we were going to do that like three or four updates later (laughs) originally. Right. (laughs) So it's, it's really all that, all that stuff is really interesting. And, and I think on a fundamental level really changed the way we, we worked on the project. Nice. And I'm assuming that things are quite quiet. You can't say too much about what you're working on next. We do not know. (laughs) In fact, (laughs) um, we are still working on Hades. The next thing we're doing is, patching Hades or, you know, <laughs> how many more updates so, are kind of planned for the moment? There's no more updates. There's just like fixing stuff. Right. It's, okay. You know, we're, we're, we're done, you know, but we're, we're still supporting the game. I mean, it's, it's been, um, quite a, quite a post launch, uh, that we're still in the thick of four months later here. Yeah. I can imagine. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, we, we normally, you know, in the past we've launched a game and then we kind of patch it a couple of times and support it for like a month and then we're like refreshed ready yep, to move on see ya. <laughs> but this we've been in hades land the whole the whole time <laughs> so, the irony of you still being stuck in hades underworld <laughs> it, listen it is not a bad problem to have definitely I'm not happy 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 to have this you know this dilemma this problem quote unquote <laughs> yeah. right it's a good problem to have for sure okay so sadly i only have one question left for you uh, and this one can be a bit of a doozy for some people. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely solid I... advice. <laughs> You're just talking about specifically related to what I do for work? Uh, yeah, let's go with a more kind of career. <laughs> <laughs> Invest in Apple. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Um, one piece of advice I can give myself. Well, uh, I think I would give myself the advice that I didn't take from all those other people, which was be less precious about your work. Yeah. Just make stuff. Just keep make making more it. stuff, you know, and, and that, that's a really important bit of advice. I think is just to keep doing it. Cause that's the only way, I mean, it, it really helps with a lot of different aspects of, of the process. I mean, it helps you just get better. It helps you be more free with your ideas. It helps you understand and trust your creative instincts better. Yeah. It helps you gain an intuition around doing the work. And and that's, I think, really important. And I've come to rely a lot more on my sort of creative instincts and and my intuition around what I, what feels right. And just, you just kind of go and you pursue it and see what happens. And that's tended to be more fruitful for me than deliberating for weeks about how I should do something. Yeah. And I have to say that is a very nice um tying conclusion considering that is very very relevant when you think about Zagreus escaping the underworld over and over again. Yeah. Just keep trying, yeah. man. Just keep <laughs> Just keep doing it. You get better. Just yeah. keep running. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you today, Darren. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I hope we can see you again in the near future. Yeah, sounds good.
everyone. This is Sam. Thanks very much for listening to the Sound Architect podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, there are many ways you can support the show, which is incredibly appreciated. Obviously, there's the financial way where you can support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash sounddesignuk. However, there are many other ways which also help, such as liking, subscribing, reviewing, commenting, and sharing via whatever channel you listen on. Thanks so much for your support already. It really is a work of passion for me, and I'd love to keep sharing the knowledge from all these talented and wonderful people. Thanks again, and catch you on the next episode. Hi, all. This is Becky and Susan from the Sound Girls podcast, where we speak to audio professionals from all walks of life. Join us Tuesdays at 9 a.m. and listen to the amazing array of sound humans talk about how they got into the biz. And a few cool things, like roadie nicknames and fizzy water preferences. You can find the Sound Girls podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as our website, soundgirls.org. Hi, this is Christian from the Sound Effect podcast. In our latest episode, you'll hear supervising sound editor Koya Elliott of Skywalker Sound and re-recording mixer, sound designer, and supervising sound editor Ren Kleiss talk about their work on the latest Pixar animated feature, Soul. Hear it all at asoundeffect.com forward slash podcast. Hi, this is Michael Helms, host of the Location Sound Podcast. My recent guest is production sound mixer Jimmy Seiska, based out of Los Angeles, California. We talk about recording sound on the Bravo series Below Deck Mediterranean and the Amazon series The Pack, hosted by Lindsey Vaughn. Check out the latest episode.